Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's podcast uh, on the topic of political agitation. Before we get to the podcast proper, just wanted to um, just want to ask about how everyone's going. You can pop in a comment on our Facebook page if you're listening in. I uh, hope everyone is well. hope uh, we're all in high spirits despite the pandemic um, and despite some very interesting commentary from government officials of late. I, um, I was listening to the news yesterday. <clears throat> there was a premier, I can't remember exactly which one. Um, but they were talking about, um, I think in an effort to uh, get us all to appreciate their efforts, they were talking about uh, the modelling that has been done with the coronavirus. Um, and they said that, you know, if, had we not uh, put in our efforts, then uh, the coronavirus would have killed up to tens of thousands of people, 20,000, 27,000, I think the figure was. Um, and then um, the Premier from Queensland came in and said that, Anastasia Palaszczuk, that, um, I think she said, oh, I like that uh, approach, let me see what we would have done. I think she said, if we hadn't put in our efforts to flatten the curve, then 30,000 people would have died. So, you know, trying to stay in high spirits, but the government's not really helping. Um, so some very interesting commentary. Um, and there's a lot of things we can talk about, to be honest. A lot's happened of late. Um, yesterday there was a trial in which George Pell was declared innocent because there wasn't enough proof against him. Um, and, you know, things happen. Government officials, people in, pe people in positions of power say and do things, uh, get away with a lot, and I think uh, it makes for a lot of interesting conversation. Uh, but today's conversation, on a related note, um, is about what we can do, the role that, that we can play um, in this world and in, in, in our capacity as Muslims living in the West uh, in response to what people in positions of power do, what governments do, what government officials do and say. Um, and, and I want to sort of take the whole coronavirus situation as a case study, a quick case study, and then just um, expand the situation to something that is more of a theoretical, uh, sorry, a more of a um, conceptual discussion um, on the concept of political agitation. So, like I said, I hope everyone is well, and you know we make uh, dua to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for all of our all those people who have who have fallen. Uh, we pray for their families and for them. Um, you know, there's a lot of deaths that have taken place all around the world. It's a very difficult time that we're all living in. Um, we all pray and we turn to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for uh, for His mercy. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant shifa to all those who have uh, contracted the virus, and uh, may He protect us all. Amin. Um, but the the coronavirus and you know the whole situation surrounding that's very instructive around how governments are dealing with it, um, and you know the whole situation is there's a there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. Um, one of the lessons, and I think I'll go off one of the conversations that I was having with um, with a colleague at work, who was saying that you know now is not the time. Uh, to criticize, I, I need to address this point. I think it's a personal, it's a little pet thing for me that I need to talk about. Um, he was saying now's not the time to criticize government policy because, you know, we're in a crisis. And uh, to be honest, my personal opinion on this one is that there is no time in which government policy cannot be criticized. Governments are holding themselves up to very high standard by taking those positions, and they have a, um, a very uh, high bar, high standard that they need to meet and they have to hold themselves up to that criticism at all times. And I think it's very interesting to just have a look at what's been happening uh, all around the world, how different governments have been dealing with it. I know there's a lot of criticism, there always will be of various governments um, 
but the role that governments play in times of crisis. I think there was a very interesting article about uh, Jacinta Ardern um, and um, you know, certain models of leadership in times of crisis were taken to evaluate her role as a, as a prime minister, uh, as a leader, and then other governments like the Turnbull, sorry, the uh, Morrison government, um, and and others were sort of compared and contrasted. And everyone's thinking about, okay, what are governments doing to protect us, and so forth. And I think it's um, there is no time in which you can say that we shouldn't talk about accounting governments because that's really what our topic is about tonight. And I think that it's it's important to have that conversation even in this time of crisis. In fact, it's more important to have it in this time of crisis than it is in, in normal times. Um, and I want to have that conversation just tying it back to the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taking some important examples from there. From In fact, uh, before the Prophet Sallam, the lives of earlier Prophets as well, and see what lessons we can learn from, from their examples, from the example of the Prophet, from the example of the Sahaba, um, and see how we can move forward from there. So the topic for today is political agitation. Um, and I will say that that topic, that word, agitation, like many words, phrases, and concepts in Islam, uh, on the face of it, it seems like there's something negative to it. It's attached to something negative. Like, for example, the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu says that the path to paradise is filled with hardship. Right? Or, you know, the understanding of um, some very... Um, uh, some, some of the biggest scholars in Islam, like Ibn al-Qayyim, who talks about the concept of luxury, and he says, yeah, the one with the greatest level of Iman understands luxury to be hardship and hardship to be luxury. Right? It's a, it's a difficult concept to get your head around, but... Um, there's a lot of there is a lot of that. The Prophet ﷺ says another narration when he receives revelation, he comes down to his wife Khadija radiallahu anha, and he says that you know la rahata ba'd al He says there is no rest after today. You know, and our concept today, someone goes on a break, like many of us are online, you know, online teaching, online learning for our kids in their schools, and uh, we're working from home and we're doing video conferencing and all that sort of stuff and you know if we do spend some time away from our regular routines everyone's like well I, have, I hope you had a good time I hope you know when we go on for a break a six week break or a two week break or whatever it might be um, I hope you had a really good break holidaying and I hope you had a good rest right and then the process of time says there is no rest after today and we just obviously there is some element of rest in life we need to we sleep every day we rest but there is a concept there that on the surface of it it seems like there's something interesting going on. It seems like there's, a, there's an element of conflict. There's an element on the surface it seems a little bit negative, And you need to try and understand what's going on. So the concept of agitation is something like that as well, political agitation. Uh, when I use the word agitation, what comes to mind, right? You think uh, it, it does seem like a negative concept. People use the word agitation, you know. It, it agit I find it agitating. I find what you're doing annoying, or I'm irritated, I'm agitated, right? Um, political agitation, some, I don't know, communists making some noise in the street, shouting slogans, I find it agitating, I find it annoying, right? So, so um, there is um, a negative connotation associated with the term, and I think it's about just trying to get to the bottom of what does political agitation mean, and what important lessons can we learn from the life of the Prophet. We all know that uh, this life is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know that we have an important role of you know what the scholars say enjoining the good and forbidding the evil we distinguish ourselves as Muslims Muslims from non-Muslims in many ways and one of those ways is um, us 
knowing that there is an element of enjoining the good, enjoining each other to do good. And you know, in the current climate that we live in, that might mean social distancing and encouraging people to isolate in line with prophetic guidance. Um, uh, you know, Prophet Sallallahu says, if there's a plague in a land, do not leave it. And if there is a plague in a land that you're going to, do not enter it. You know, there's many different um, uh, versions and many different uh, narrations uh, of prophetic guidance on this topic that we can follow and that we can encourage others to do good. But then likewise, we, can, we, we need to forbid um, people, people in positions of power especially, from... Um, from evil practice as well And I want to take you back to the A beautiful If you read the book of uh, Ibn Kathir Who writes Qasas um, al This book on the stories of the prophets And he takes us through the lives of the prophets From the earliest time From Adam alayhi uh, salam To Nuh alayhi salam You know to The example of uh, Various other prophets Hud, Ibrahim, Lut, Shu'ib, Ilyas, Dawood um, and Isa salam before the Prophet salam himself, and um, one of the things that I, one of the things that you will undoubtedly notice as a pattern when you're going through this uh, this book and you're reading through it is um, that all of the prophets engaged in da'wah, all of the prophets, and there's no exception to it. it, it yeah, there's times of crisis. Um, you know, the Prophet salam, uh, the, the, the 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 Sahaba in their own time they faced crises, they faced plagues as well. You don't. Package your whole life up until that point Neatly And then trash it and say Well we're in times of crisis Let's forget everything that we know about life um, Let's trash all our principles No um, In fact if anything In difficult times You sort of double You double down Right um, And All of the prophets Before the prophet himself Sallallahu alayhi wa Which we'll get to Engaged in da'wah And they called individuals Like for example Ibrahim alayhi salam Calling his father Um uh, they called individuals to Islam and Islamic principles And then they called societies to Islam as well And I want us to just reflect on that a little bit What was the example of those before us? Nuh alayhi salam He challenged the practice of idol worship You'll find in Surah Nuh uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to these idols That people had made of pious people Wad suwa, yaghuth, yaquq There's reference uh, in the life of Hud alayhi salam Who he... Challenged the practice of people building these colossal landmarks and living lives of luxury. And you know, Hud would say to them, in calling them to Allah, he would say to them, Do you think that you're going to live in these colossal landmarks um, untested? You know, do you think there's not going to be any trials in your life? And this life is a test, and this is not the purpose of our life, and so forth. Um, the example of Ibrahim who broke the idols and he challenged not just his father from an individual point of view, but the point I'm trying to make is that there's a collective. Obligation as well to engage in challenging and questioning the practices of society. When you say da'wah, normally what comes to mind is individual da'wah. And yes, that's a very virtuous and very important part of Islam. If you have a neighbor that's non-Muslim and you live next to him for 25 years and you never invited him to Islam, uh, you've never had a conversation about Islam with him, right? Or you never held yourself in an upright manner, then yes, you're going to be held accountable for that and you didn't really uphold that sort of principle of individual da'wah. But then... There's more than that as well. Um, if you live in a society and you never thought, well, the Prophet ﷺ lived in a society that wasn't um, upright. What did he do? And you never tried to model yourself on that. Then there's something wrong with that as well. Um, and we just try and be better ourselves in, in every way possible. Um, Lut ﷺ, he challenged the practice of sodomy in society. And he 
challenge the sin of homosexuality. Um, Shu'aib, his he's, uh, challenge against social practice was against highway robbery, right? Um, and, and also, not just highway robbery, but also there was this blasphemous and almost mindless practice of worshipping the tree of Al-Aika, right? Uh, Ilyas, alayhi salam, he gave da'wah to the leaders of Baal Bik. Dawood he led an assault against Goliath and we know from the example of Isa he challenged the corruption of, of Bani Israel and that's what he was you know, punished for in the end as well it wasn't because he was giving da'wah just to individuals it was because he was challenging the corruption of society and so there is a big you know, precedent in Islamic history of all of the prophets challenging um, social practices and there's something we've got to learn from that surely right um, um, and then, then subhanAllah, we look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ himself. And what was his example? Um, his example, which we'll get to in a little bit, which is about challenging social practices, um, also feeds into this idea of political agitation. But I, I want to now just stop for a moment and, and reflect on that a little bit. Why am I calling it political agitation? Why am I not just calling it da'wah? Um, it is a form of da'wah, but da'wah is wider than that and political agitation is a little bit more specific and there's a specific objective to uh, political agitation that, that I want to talk about. Um, we live our lives as Muslims, like I said, we hold ourselves to a high, we try, you know, uh, and we fall short at times and we ask for forgiveness, but we hold ourselves to high standards. Um, and one of them is to try and give da'wah, like I said, right? Um, da'wah is of many forms, there's individual and there's collective. And when it comes to collective, again, that can take many shapes and forms, like you can inform someone of, of Islam and you can bring their attention to Islam but it's not just all oh look at this and why don't you think about this there's an element of challenging as well and I gave plenty of examples from stories of the prophets um, from the lives of the prophets of where it's not just what do you think about this there's, there's an element of questioning challenging and that's where um, if you have a specific objective in mind and you do have an element of rocking the boat right which I think you'll find that principle, that, that idiom of rocking the boat can be applied to all of the previous prophets, right? Uh, um, most of all to the Prophet himself, then that, that is where political agitation comes in. And I, you know, as a precursor to some of the discussion that, that will follow, if I want you to just focus on, on one thing, one takeaway thing that I want you to focus on in this podcast, it is this. We've all heard the saying of, you know, it's an idiom in English, to rock the boat. You know, and to rock the boat, you know, you're doing something that's going to result in a bit of conflict and it will exacerbate or it will, you know, bring conflict to a situation which is otherwise stable, right? Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing to rock the boat? I just want you to think about that, right? I think our gut, our instinct is to tell us that's a bad thing. Don't rock the boat, you know, which is why it's a negative that actually precedes this, this idiomatic expression. People don't say, go rock the boat. They say, don't rock the boat. That's like a natural instinct. Don't rock the boat. Just, you know, don't uh, cause tension. Um, and we know in life, though, that there's examples in which if you just let things be and you don't have those difficult conversations and you don't um, rock the boat, the status quo won't change. And if that status quo is negative, if it's detrimental, if it's suffocating, if it's um, corrupt, then that's not really a good strategy of not rocking the boat. Sometimes we do have to rock the boat. Sometimes we have to capsize the damn thing, right? Right? Um, figuratively speaking. 
Um, and, and and that's I think the example of the Prophet Sallam. That there there are times the Prophet Sallam would do something that seems like he's rocking the boat, and there's some prophetic wisdom to it. So I just want you to ask yourself this question: Is rocking the boat a good thing? And did the Prophet Sallam is? Can you say that the Prophet Sallam rocked the boat of Quraysh of Meccan society and their customs and their tribal practices and so forth at the time? And then we can return to that question at the end of the podcast, inshallah. Um, political agitation If we can give it a definition Now we're not writing an article We're not writing a book here But sometimes it's still important to work with a, like a workable definition That we can then test against the examples that we bring um, Political agitation I like to define it as uh, Because it's not a hard and fast definition Like I said it's not, I haven't extracted this from some PhD dissertation or something It's just a workable example And a political agitation is public Actions uh, uh, engaging in public speech or action um, with the objective of questioning or challenging government policy, or even more fundamentally, bringing into question government credibility. Right. So let me repeat that again. Uh, it's a little bit uh, compounded, but let's let's just stay with it. Um, engaging in public speech or public action. Uh, with the objective of questioning or challenging uh, public, uh, sorry, government policy, or even more fundamentally, challenging government credibility. If that's political agitation, then uh, the question for us is: What are examples of political agitation in the time, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, and so forth? The Prophet ﷺ, uh, one of the earliest examples that I want that I want us to take our minds back to. As Prophet Sallam, he was given the command in the cave of Hira, Yakra Bismi Rabbikaladi Khalak. He was said it was said to him, Iqra, read in the name of thy Lord who created. And we know from the narrations uh, of Sirah that the Prophet was shaken by this experience. Um, he was so badly shaken by what he had seen and what he had witnessed that he ran down uh he rushed down the mountain and he went to his wife Khadija radiallahu anha and he said to her, he said to her right which means to, to cover me he asked her to cover me and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed um, some of the earliest revelations in which allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him oh you wrapped up in garments ya ayyuhal mudathir qum fa'anzir and these fa'anzir and this uh, uh, these commands to the Prophet ﷺ was, Oh you who's wrapped up in garments, tightly wrapped up, arise and warn the people. Arise and warn the people. Warn the people. Just focus on that word there. Anzir. Right? Warn the people. Um, the Prophet ﷺ then took that to his wife. He took it to her uh, uncle, Waraka bin Nawfal. Um, and you know the story goes as it goes And the Prophet ﷺ started calling people to Islam And one of the earliest narrations is of the Prophet ﷺ Climbing atop Mount Safa And saying to the various tribes He said to them And can I just say personally Like this is a personal comment here Not on authority of some Sira book But personally I feel like The phrase that he used there Was the kind of was, was a phrase that he would use in a kind of situation that we face right now Like a crisis situation Where the Prophet ﷺ went on top of the mountain and said Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha 
right? He's actually calling the people and he's saying to them, um, he's, he's, it's a call that customarily at that time was known um, of a way of grabbing attention in a time of crisis, like impending doom, like something drastic is about to happen. Right? And for me, again, I think I can't help but have sort of the coronavirus and, and, the, and the crisis and this pandemic you know, come to mind. I think if a government was to, the way that governments warn us today, it's kind of like you need to listen very carefully to what is about to be said because it concerns you directly. Like that's the kind of message that Prophet is giving, right? And the Prophet climbs the mountain and he says to the people, I'm, if I tell you that on the other side of this mountain there is an army that is approaching, would you believe me? And, they, and the Sirah books, they say that the the response of the Quraysh initially of the Arab tribes was disbelief. Like, like they were sort of incredulous. Like they were thinking, they were a bit confused. What kind of question is that? We know you as a Sadiq al Amin. We know you as the trustworthy. Obviously, we'd believe you, right? We'd believe you. So then he said, I, 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 I come to you with a warning of impending doom, of a punishment that is about to strike you and strike us all. And you know the narration goes as it goes. Abu Lahab, uh, very harshly, very vitriolically, sort of intervened at that point and said, "Is this what you've gathered us for? May your hands perish!" And that's where the another surah was revealed. Tabbat yada Abu Lahab wa tab. And again, as as we all know from this story, but what did the Prophet ﷺ do? And and can we go back to the definition just very quickly? Uh, public speech or action that is carried out with the intention of questioning government at that time there was tribal leadership but the direction of the leadership the direction of the people the direction and, and to question that and to challenge that and to question credibility he said where are we going with our practices right there's impending punishment from Allah because we've turned away from belief in the oneness of Allah and, and that shook and that sort of rocked the boat and that sort of stirred the people and he was politically astute in some sense, Abu Lahab, because he knew what was happening and he knew that you know, any time people question government policy, it's an issue. right? And he said, why would you gather us for this? It's such a trivial matter. Right? And you bring up this random uh, you know, epiphany that you've had about what's, uh, what's coming. And why would you gather us for this? right? So the seerah continues and subhanAllah, we, we look at the example of, of the Sahaba as well. There are examples in the time of uh, the Prophet ﷺ where he would train the Sahaba by the day. They would go out and they would call. After this private phase was over, they went public and they called people to Islam. They would call people by the day and then by, na- by night they would all work on, um, you know, they would work on personal connection with Allah and they would pray long hours of tarawih of sorry of tahajjud and getting close to uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but a part of that training and that mentoring that the prophet ﷺ did with the sahaba was also um, manifested in the example of the sahaba Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an who is um, you know whose example is very instructive he is known for his courage in reading the Quran in the face of the Quraysh. Again, it's a narration from early days in which the Sahaba would gather and they would, they would think that one of us needs to go and read Quran in a way where we are broadcasting this message to the Quraysh. 
we can't just continue doing everything so privately. We need to let them know that this is something that we have and something that we're going to stand firm by and that we're not shy. And so the, the Sahaba consulted each other and said, who's going to go out and do it? And Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him for his courage, said, I'm going to do it. And, the, and, the, and just note again, I want you to just think about the, the definition which we're going to return to of political agitation. But just, just note that in your mind. We're going to go back to it in a sec. Um, think about what the Sahaba are getting at. Like, why would they do that? You know, we say, take it easy, don't rock the boat. And here the Sahaba saying, things are calm. We need to go and broadcast this message because the Quraysh are not giving it its due attention. Question, is it going to rock the boat? Question, just have a think about that. Um, Abdullah, Mas- Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, volunteers himself. He says, I'll do it. And they said, eh, no, you're not going to do it because you don't have enough protection. So who else is going to do it, right? And he insisted. He said, no. I insist, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect me. And he went out and he read Surah Ar-Rahman in the face of the Quraysh, right? Which I think is one of those incidents in the life of the Prophet in the life of the Sahaba, which it needs like a whole lecture on it. It needs a whole book just written about that incident because I don't think it gets enough attention in our community circles and you know, the khutbahs and so forth. Um, but this narration, you know, this, it takes place. He goes and he reads Surah Ar-Rahman it's in the face of the Quraysh And they are taken aback by his audacity How dare you come with your you know, incantations And your private spiritual practices Which you know, we know have been happening under wraps But how dare you say this publicly right? And he was beaten up in a way where his face couldn't be recognized And then the Sahaba said to him when he returned when, they, when he was spared by the Quraysh He was barely spared by them But when he was Then the, 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 the Sahaba said to Abdullah Masul, We told you And his response was I would literally go back and do it I would go back and do the same thing again tomorrow If, needed, if need be Because this message needs to be broadcast um, um, I think again We need to think about that I'm not going to reflect on each incident specifically Because I want to draw a thematic sort of link Between all of them and I want us to just think about that, but bear that incident in mind. Just like we said about the Prophet ﷺ coming out and warning the tribes in a public manner. Think about Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an and his example. Then think about the example of you know, the two lines led by Hamza and, and, and Umar radiallahu an after the conversion of Umar to Islam. After he accepted Islam, um, his example, right? The Sahaba again are thinking that we need to Led by obviously the leadership of the Prophet We need to broadcast this message We need to You know they, they're not thinking we need to rock the boat We need to be very careful here They're not saying we need to go out there And cause a bit of noise And you know people in positions of power And I'm sure the Quraysh at the time as well They're characterizing it as that It's just They just want to cause a bit of noise They want to cause a bit of a ruckus That's not The, the, the Sahaba were deeper than that They're not about just causing a bit of noise Right, but people in position of power will always characterize noise not by its uh, motivation, but just by its form. It's just a bit of noise. It's just a bit of noise. Let's ignore it. Right? These people are trying to destabilize society. Right? That's what Fir'aun said about Musa salam, and Harun. That's what the Quraysh said about the Sahaba. And that's what governments today say about anyone who has like a genuine grievance and takes it to the streets. Right? They say it's just a bit of noise. 
Um, but I think there is a bit of noise out there and, and not all noise is the same. Sometimes we need to question well, what's going on behind that noise. And I think that's the example of true leadership for another day. But uh, the, 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 the Quraysh, sorry, the Sahaba led by Hamza an and Umar an, after both of them accepted Islam, they walked around the Kaaba and they said, and they, they said, Ahadun Ahad. This was the example. They said that they declared the oneness of Allah. They declared it publicly. And, and what did it do? It caused a bit of a ruckus. It, it caused a bit of tension. Um, why did they do it? Think about that. Why did they want to do it? They didn't feel that Islam was meant for books and private settings and private circles. No. Islam has a certain position, a certain rank in the eyes of Allah and therefore in our eyes as well. And it deserves a certain position which has been clarified in the Qur'an. And they are there as the ambassadors of Islam which will take Islam to its rightful position. And these are some of the means that they are adopting. Right? Abu Bakr radiallahu an. His example is also very instructive in which he was offered protection to return to Mecca. And with that protection, he was given the condition that, look, I'm going to protect you. And this is one of the leaders of the Quraysh who had uh, sympathy for Abu Bakr Um He said, I'm protecting you, but on condition that you keep your, private, your, you keep your Islam private. It's a private affair. Don't declare it publicly. Don't do anything that's going to rock the boat. The response of Abu Bakr at the time initially was to accept those conditions and he would conduct himself in a very private manner until something wavered in his heart. And I want you to draw that thematic link again in all these examples. Something wavered in the Prophet's heart. He took to the mountaintop. Something wavered in Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in his heart. And he took to the precinct of the Kaaba. Something wavered in the hearts of the Sahaba who said, No, we are going to circumambulate the Kaaba and we're going to declare the oneness of Allah. Something wavered in the heart of Abu Bakr who said, No, I can't do this. No, Islam is not meant to be a private affair. And, and he said, I am going to pray. Now he didn't go to him and say, I rescind myself from this contract and I don't need your protection. He went and he prayed. And I think that's telling as well. Like he's not there to just cause issues, cause problems, rock the boat. But if rocking the boat is necessary as a condition of getting Islam to where it needs to be, then so be it, right? Um, and, and I think just reflect on that. The, the Abu Bakr didn't go straight to the, the, the leader who offered him protection, said, I don't need your protection. He went and he prayed publicly and then the people, well, as onlookers, looked at his example and the Quraysh got worried and they went to the the man who offered him protection, I forget his name, um, Mut'im ibn Adi, anyway, I think that's his name, but one of the tribal leaders of Quraysh who offered him protection, and they went to him and said, you said that Abu Bakr has your protection because he's going to keep Islam a private affair, and here he is praying publicly, right? In, in front of his house in a way that's publicly seen by everyone, why is he doing this? And then, you know, the gentleman offered, who, who offered protection went up to Abu Bakr and said, we had a deal, and then Abu Bakr said, well, if, if, you know, as part of your deal is the fact that I can't declare my Islam openly and I can't practice Islam openly, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect me. I do not need your protection. Um, again, thematic link. There's a need to take your Islam public in the form of speech or in the form of action in a way that is going to somehow question, challenge 
government policy, government direction, government credibility. Um, and subhanAllah, I think I say, you know, let's look at the thematic link here. Um, one of the important themes here is that all of it is done as a very specific objective. Um, noise is not made in Islam for the sake of noise. Sometimes you do need to kick up a bit of a fuss in situations. I'll give you everyday examples, right? Let's say um, a person in a marriage is suffering quietly because if they were to make noise about it, if they were to alert the authorities about it, it would rock the boat and it would lead to... You know, there will be very many situations in which, vast majority of them, perhaps some of that could be resolved in a private arbitration setting, right? But very many situations in which the authorities would, would need to be alerted. Should he or she not rock the boat? Should a, a friend in a, a very toxic relationship not bring it or alert other people publicly, bring it to the attention of the public, right? Of people, uh, third parties. Because if they do, then that relationship will go down the drain, right? There's many situations in everyday life and uh, what I want us to do is just to think about, well, perhaps Islam as a practice of Muslims in, in, in public is no different. That yes, there are moments in which you will um, practice Islam public, uh, privately and there's no problem with it. Uh, but there may be times in which in carrying out your obligation of the da'wah to Islam, you want to say something, in many instances, just to inform people Islam is a beautiful religion. You know, these are the misconceptions about Islam. Uh, women issues, about uh, issues to do with economic practices, right? Why we pay zakat, for example, right? Why we do what we do. Um, and, and sometimes it's not, like I said at the start, it's not always just about bringing the attention of people to a certain matter. It's about challenging and questioning, criticizing, critiquing, uh, interrogating. Sometimes your da'wah has to take that form as well. And I gave you the example of Nuh and Ibrahim Hud of Isa Dawood Sulaiman and, and all the prophets and I, I encourage you strongly to pick up stories of the prophets and just verify what I'm saying please don't take me on my word for it pick up that book and read it and go through the details of the stories of the prophets and look at how you know Allah Taala says um, I think in reference to Hud السلام, it says فَقَالَ الْمَلَأُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ قَوْمِهِ مَا نَرَاكَ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُنَا that the leaders, the political leaders of the time of Hud said to him that you know what, we don't actually view you as anything other than just a man, like just another man from amongst us. We don't think you're a prophet, right? So take your message and you know, be gone with it. Why are they saying this to him? Right? Because he is trying to criticize their social practices. In his case it was, you know, that question of Sort of living a life of luxury and building excessive, being exorbitant with their uh, economic practices, um, and so that's the example of the stories of the prophets. That's the example of the prophet ﷺ himself. That's the example of you know many of the Sahaba, Hamza radiallahu an, Umar radiallahu an, of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu an. And I just think at some point when you when the evidence is that compelling, you need to give it some thought. We need to think about well, we say we want to emulate the life of the prophet, and yes. We want to try and do that in every way possible. Yes, we want to be the perfect husband, the perfect son. And we want to try, you know, though we may fall short and that's what forgiveness is all about. But we want to try to do that. But then there's also that element of me as a member of my community. And a lot of, you know, what we see in the life of the Prophet ﷺ is actually encouraging us 
to take that uh, example very seriously. Um, now just a few points about how we can implement that in our life because I want to start wrapping this up as well. There's a beautiful examples that we went through in the life of the Prophet and the Sahaba and the earlier Prophets. But our, our role as Muslims living in the West, our role as political agitators as Muslims living in the West is about undermining the, the falsehood that we see, undermining the battle that we see and trying to confront it head on. There are often Examples in which the government will craft policy concerning Muslims And I wonder And I, I want you to think about the fact that if If you as a Muslim are not speaking up about it who, who are you expecting to speak up about it? When policy is crafted about you When anti-terror legislation is rushed through parliament And it concerns you and your brothers and sisters um, When policy is crafted in the West and it's, car and it's sort of carved out in the West, but it's implemented in the Muslim world, economic policies in the Muslim world, about you know, um, loans and the interest that comes with those loans and other economic practices and economic policies implemented in the Muslim world. Um, and the ideological sort of underpinnings of such policies. Are we to just live very personal spiritual lives, make sure we pray and fast and do our tasbih every day, right, and, and bow our heads in submission? To the authorities Or is there an element of Hang on a second I'm a Muslim I'm trying to be a conscious Politically aware Muslim And I don't, I don't That doesn't sit very comfortably with me What you've said there Right Whether that's an individual That said it to you Or whether it's the government That said it to you In fact if anything What the government says Is like infinitely more important For you to Critically think about And challenge If, if need be um, It's about exposing Balta by Agitating it enough Right To sort of um, you know, not do that haphazardly, which would be a sign of weakness. Not do it haphazardly, right? But to highlight the weakness of the enemy from within, right? And it's very hard. And it's very centre. These are important questions for us to consider as Muslims living in the West. Um, you know, we talk about dictators in the Muslim world, and we talk about corruption in the Muslim world, and poverty in the Muslim world, and and sometimes the way we talk about it is as if everything's hunky dory in the West, right? Um, we encourage our, I imagine at some point, you know, we have this conversation and we think about our loved ones back home. You know, I'm from Pakistan and I sit down with my uh, loved ones, you know, every year or every second year when I go back to visit my in-laws or my, my family, my cousins and so forth. And we sit, we talk about it. And yeah, they talk about the price of wheat and sugar and flour and how the government's not doing anything about it. Or, you know, in this time right now about the way that the government is struggling to deal with, you know, the pandemic situation. Um, and and some of that thought has to surely be directed at questioning, challenging, discussing government policy. And if it means that you're rocking the boat a little bit, and if it means that you're coming into the limelight a little bit, well then what's the example of the Sahaba and the Prophet And are we going to learn from those examples? Um, there is an element um, where you need to show as an active Muslim and adopt that sort of position of leadership for other Muslims as well, other young Muslims that... We're meant to be role models for growing up In which we need to show them that We have the confidence And we have the political astuteness To know that often Government policy needs to be criticised um, We have the courage And what it takes to To say that the government In its policies that it crafts against it It's not invincible It's not some all omnipotent force That can never be questioned um, And yes, sometimes that government Needs to be 
challenged open needs to be exposed and it needs to be made to look small and impotent if if big if if the kind of action the kinds of actions that they're carrying out are you know of that nature you know um political agitation is uh, often shrouded in negativity. This is how I started off, and I just want to sort of come full circle with this conversation. Um, it's thought of as something like inherently deeply negative. Um, my my role tonight was just to bring some important examples from the past for us to sort of reinvigorate ourselves with um, that connection to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, whose example, when we often think of, we think of a very spiritual man who was always well mannered. And he conducted himself in the best of ways. And, you know, we don't often think about some of the stuff that he had to do to make sure that Islam got the position that it deserved. And some of that stuff did, in a way, you know, fall under what we refer to as rocking the boat. Um, we, I want you to sort of just picture that. You know, your canoe is, is stuck at shore. Um, and, you know, someone might say, don't rock the boat, right? You know, so there's, there's many examples. I just want you to think about this example sometimes. Like, let's just take this sort of sustained metaphor of the boat and rocking it. Yeah, you've got a little vessel. You've got a little um, a boat. You know, sometimes people, they have such an instinctive response to questioning government policy that the boat isn't even, the boat isn't even, um, at sail yet it's not even floating yet and you're saying don't rock the boat like some people have that sort of a uh, don't do anything ever to question anything because then you're going to be brought on the line what's, what, you know and we're all going to struggle then right um, sometimes you're in a situation in which and I gave some examples of this earlier you have no option but to rock the boat and my my one of my favorite quotes from the English language, which um, you know I, I did give a similar talk to this uh, last year, and one of the people listening in tonight who saw the ad uh, the, the 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 advert on our Facebook page about political agitation, the lost sunnah, and he saw my name and he WhatsApped me and he said, "Well, I hope you share that quote again. It was beautiful." And you know, I guess uh, just a shout out to Alexa who uh, asked me to share this quote again. And the beautiful quote, my favorite quote in the English language is that ships are meant. Uh, sh ships are safe at harbour and I want you to just think about this quote in relation to everything that we've said tonight ships are safe at harbour but that's not what ships were made for I found it very very beautiful um, and very instructive in this context ships are safe at harbour they're safe because they're docked at harbour nothing's going to happen to them they're secured, they're tied down but that's not what their purpose was their purpose wasn't just to be docked at harbour for all eternity Muslims yeah, if we don't rock the boat, yeah, we're safe. No one's going to bring the line up. But that's not your purpose in life, is not to just corner yourself. Like, yeah, maybe in these days, you're going to isolate and you want to quarantine yourself, but that's not your purpose. And some people, outside of the context of a crisis, they, they think that our role in life is just to quarantine ourselves and just not say anything to anyone. Like, social distancing is their everyday practice. It's just a distance yourself, political distancing, I think they call it. Let's just distance yourself from politics. No politics in the mosque. Don't talk about Don't rock the boat. Don't bring any attention to yourself. I think that's a very bad attitude. I think it's not an Islamic attitude. I think it's something that we need to start to question. Uh, I think I'll end it on that note. Um, 
there's a lot more that we can talk about and I'd love to have some of those conversations. I see some comments in the uh, in the comment section on our Facebook page. Um, if there are any specific questions addressed to myself as the host for tonight, I'm happy to take those. Um, and, and obviously it's recorded so people will play it later on as well and if there's any questions that follow later on then yes, we'll take those questions as well. I'd just like to thank everyone for their time. Uh, tonight, Jazakumullah Khairan for listening. Uh, it was very... Uh, it was my pleasure to take us through this podcast tonight and I hope to uh, take us through some similar podcasts in the future. Jazakumullah khairan for your attention. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.